Good morning, everyone. We're glad you could join us. My name is Ananta. This is Maria. We're honored to be here this morning. I'd like to um, welcome all of you, our guests from the Expanding Light, people on the internet. And uh, uh, it's um, a lot of what Sunday service generates within us comes from the people who come to Sunday service. So thank you for coming. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, which is um, parallel passages on the Bible and the Gita based on Yogananda's teachings. Victory demands the courage of, courage of conviction. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 10, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am come not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth, that is to say, that clingeth to his life shall lose it. And he that loses, in other word, that giveth up his life for my sake shall find it. God tests the firmness of our faith. The sword described here is the sword of discrimination. The struggle Jesus describes is not a war against unknown enemies, but the struggle with our own attachment to all that is nearest and dearest to us, humanly speaking. Ultimately, it is a war against the ego itself and against everything with which we surround ourselves to bolster the ego's fragile sense of security. When Yogananda, as a boy, fled to the Himalayas to embrace a life of solitary meditation, he was apprehended by his older brother Ananta and brought home again. At a certain point, before he would accept defeat, he whispered to his friend Amar, his companion on the flight, let us slip away when opportunity offers. We can go on foot to Rishikesh. But Amar, whose brother had accompanied Ananta, had turned pessimist, disclaiming any intention of continuing their adventure. Yogananda's memorable comment on Amar's refusal was, quote, he was enjoying the familial warmth. The spiritual warrior rejects that familial warmth. Rather, he claims the whole universe as his home. As the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the 14th chapter, unaffected by outward joys and sorrows, or by praise and blame, secure in his divine nature, regarding with equal gaze a clod of mud, a stone, and a bar of gold, Impartial toward all experiences, whether pleasant or unpleasant, firm-minded, untouched by either praise or blame, treating everyone alike, whether friend or foe, 
free from the delusion that in anything he does, he is the doer, such an one has transcended nature's triune qualities. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. like to read from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. <clears throat> o divine sculptor, chisel thou my life. Every sound that I make, let it have the vibration of thy voice. Every thought that I think, let it be saturated with the consciousness of thy presence. Let every feeling that I have glow with thy love. Let every act of my will be impregnated with divine vitality. Let every thought, every expression, every ambition be ornamented by thee. O divine sculptor, chisel thou my life according to thy design. Welcome to all of you. As we were meditating, I was holding the topic for today, Victory Demands the Courage of Conviction in My Consciousness. And I was, in a certain way, feeling like I would be preaching to the choir because uh, truly the life of a disciple is one of such courage and such conviction and follow-through and I truly was feeling that all of you and all disciples and truth seekers in this vein are really the living testimony to this topic. Uh, you are the sermon, so, uh, but I will go on. I, <laughs> and um, I, this passage, it's a, it's a very powerful passage. And it's one that is very easily misunderstood. You might get the impression, some might get the impression that Jesus just was renouncing family in all ways and just no one should have anything to do with family, with ties of any sort, with the world, with duty, with responsibility. And... It reminded me of that passage in the Gita where Krishna is on the battlefield with Arjuna because it's really quite the same thing, whether in the Bible, in the Gita. These are symbols that really are a doorway onto understanding a deeper reality. They're given in parable. They're given through analogy because they're meant to touch receptive hearts, ones who not only want to listen but then want to take that truth and live by it in daily life. And so Krishna and Arjuna are there, and Arjuna is 
saying, I can't do this, I can't fight. They're on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, and there's two armies representing the light and the darkness, and Krishna and Arjuna are in the middle, and nothing has taken place, but these armies are arrayed in mass, and there's weaponry of all sorts, and there's people, and there's big animals, and elephants, and horns, and trumpets, and chariots, and the like. And Krishna doesn't want, uh, Arjuna doesn't want to go to battle because amongst all these people are his very own. His very own, just as Jesus was talking about mother and father and brother and sister. And I don't want disharmony with these people. I don't want to hurt these people. I don't want to not give them energy, care for them, what have you. And Arjuna is saying, I don't want to fight them. I don't want to kill them. And Krishna is saying to Arjuna, Arjuna, it's your time. This is your battle. This is the incarnation. This is what you have to do. And Yogananda tells us that it was in that life as Arjuna that he was liberated. It's a symbol, the family, because the family we think of by and large as our nearest and our dearest, our very own. You know, we have our spiritual family, but there's that bond. You know, we're born into this family, whatever they do, however nutty they might be or what have you. They're our own, and we recognize that on a very deep, primal level. And it's a symbol for that which is closest and nearest and dearest to us. I don't know where I'd be without Yogananda's teachings on this. I'd probably be thinking disharmony in the family. I should not, you know, be with my family. I should not love my family, this kind of thing. But he tells us that what Jesus is talking about, what Krishna is talking about, is the ego. That's our nearest and dearest. We're holding on to that so hard. It's why we're living yet another incarnation, because on a certain level, that's very dear to us. It defines us, or so we think it does. And so we keep trying to do those things which fan that flame and keep it all going and keep this personality going and this ego going and fulfilling these desires of the ego. Yogananda said, the time for knowing God has come and I want to give each one of you an experience of him. Very powerful statement a lot of energy, a lot of spiritual magnetism within those words, behind those words. When he was born, uh, a sadhu came to, you know, he wouldn't, he wasn't coming into the world yet. His mother was so pregnant and so waiting for the birth. And this man said, your son will be a spiritual engine that will bring many souls to God. And... It is said that Yogananda, Yogananda said that an avatar comes to free as many individuals as want to be freed, as want to know him. So such an incredible spiritual magnetism, spiritual power. And in that life, in that incarnation as Yogananda, he wants that also for us. And in that he has called us He has called us into this incarnation. And this is the incarnation. Everything is set up. There is such support, such power 
in this life that we have. And in that, he has given us a calling. He has given us a calling, as he says, to become free in this life, to be jivan muktas in this life. We may have karma that needs to play out, but we're not generating any new karma because we're free, because we're identified with that higher consciousness, that higher reality. This is the calling for each one of us, not the jobs we have, not the ambitions we have, not the talents we have, the abilities we have. The calling in this incarnation is to know God. And that is empowered by an avatar such as Yogananda. And for those of us for whom he is our guru, a guru such as Yogananda. And it's the, the spiritual path, even with that support and strength, is a challenging one. It's not an easy path. It's like a long-distance run. And I remember for many years I, I ran I ran a lot. I am no longer doing that, but I loved it while I was doing it. And I was able to run a few marathons. And it got to a point in my training where I could just be at mile two, definitely by mile three. And I knew that the 26 plus was done. I knew I was going to do it. I knew it was done. I knew it was going to be great. I was just at mile two, three was, you know, by three I knew it for sure. But even so, it wasn't a question of just slogging through it. That really wasn't an option. It had to be energetic. It had to be joyful. It was for Ananda, it was for Master. That's what inspired me to run in the first place. We were fundraising for, maybe it was the expanding light then, I'm not sure, it was some Ananda you know, project for a master, for our guru. And it took tremendous energy to do that, even though I knew on a very real level it was done. And so, so many, you know, on the course of that run, on the course of the spiritual path, we experience a lot. We get challenged, we get tested, circumstances change, we experience losses, we have to deal with our own sense of, I didn't meet my goal. You know, I'm not really as spiritual as I want to be. I'm not really meditating very well. We have to deal with all manner of things in the course of that run. And we have to come into it with energy, renew that energy repeatedly, renew our inspiration repeatedly, tremendous courage, tremendous faith. All of these qualities it takes to see it through. And when we, in this passage of the Gita, it's very interesting because it talks about the qualities of one transcended. You know, what, what it looks like on the other side. But the Gita gives us a very real insight into this because it highlights those qualities that we need to give expression to that are going to help us to be victorious, that are going to help us to run that very long distance. Sister Gyanamata, one of Yogananda's disciples, she said, 
we test our religion in the cold, hard light of day. And so it is in the light of day, in the little things. You know, most of us aren't going to climb Mount Everest. We're not going to be the incredible inventor that thinks up the thing that no one else thought up. We're not going to write the uh, hundreds of pieces of music that Swamiji has written, the over 130 or 40 books that Swami's written. You know, by and large, a lot of the world really isn't going to notice us. <laughs> We're not going to really stick out. And yet, it's in the light of day, just the day-to-day, the simple things that through which these qualities shine. And these are really the mountains that we are trying to ascend. It's just living in life and expressing these divine qualities. And as we give expression to them, we realize ourselves victorious. We realize we know we're going to be able to see through that run, even though it still takes an incredible amount of energy. Uh, I was thinking when Swamiji was with Yogananda, just a simple little instance, but it highlighted so much. And Master said to him a number of times, I'm going to go to India, I'd love to take you with me. And he was talking about this recently, so it's, it's very foremost in my consciousness. And one time Swamiji was asking him, well, are you going, will you be going to India this year? Because already a couple of times this had come and gone, and Yogananda didn't go, and Swamiji was very excited about accompanying him. And Master said, I don't know, it's up to Divine Mother, it doesn't, I don't really care. And Swami thought to himself, he doesn't care about going to India? <laughs> you know, Swamiji was so wanting to go and what to you know, speak of going with his guru. But he realized, he understood, wow, that consciousness of even-mindedness. I mean, it was a little thing, but those little things are mountains to be climbed, to be ascended, and they build that character of discipleship and that willingness to just stay in there, to just stay on the path and stay true and stay strong. The victorious are those who will see it through no matter what. Master said that we fail due to inertia and lack of sustained effort. And that's really what it's about. It's just staying in there and being even-minded, no matter what happens. So we're in the movie, we're not in the movie. We live here, we live there. What does, it really, what does it really matter? What does that really say about who we are? Nothing. It says nothing. But these attitudes, to be able to live in even-mindedness, that's incredible. I can't say that I'm that way. But we just keep coming back to that home page. We just keep coming back to that start. Okay, so I wasn't really even-minded in that situation, but I want to try again. I want to try again for you, Master. I want to try again for you, Divine Mother. I remember a very dear friend of ours uh, for almost the uh, time we were in Sacramento, over 20-some years, and um, she's no longer living Um, A very dear friend, I think most especially because she always challenged me. She always had some question, but, no matter what you said, it was, but what if? 
There was always something else, and she was always worrying about this and worrying about that, and it was always worried about her retirement. What if I lose my job? What if I lose it? I mean, this went on for years. What if I lose it? And it was like, but you've got your job, but what if I lose it? <laughs> and, you know, bless her heart, because she just kept me in the present, and I owe so much to her. I learned so much from her. And, but when she found out, she, had, she was diagnosed with bone cancer, and you know, it, was, it came as kind of a shock, and, but she called us straight away. And the, almost the first thing she said was, guess what? And we said, what? I don't have to worry about my retirement anymore. <laughs> I said, huh? <laughs> what? And I just, you know, I just thought that was so beautiful. I mean, how, and she said it. She wasn't moaning. She wasn't groaning. It was just, don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, she just let it go. Just complete even-mindedness, you know, even though her world was just completely turned upside down. And Swamiji has oftentimes said, we've heard him say, I've never let anything lose, make me lose my peace. You know, he's, he's held on to that. You know, when you look at his life, you see so many, many challenges, so many, many Tests, and oftentimes he's kidded because he doesn't really view his life that way. But, you know, I don't think he views it that way. He doesn't view it that way because it never takes away his peace. He always has his peace. He always has his joy. But if we don't have those, it's because we lose it. We lose it to anger. We lose it to desires one after the other. And it's those things that rob us of our peace. It's those things that rob us of clarity. And they give us a perception of the unreal. You know, it, it totally messes up our, our view of what is real and what isn't real when we're in that state. And so we can see how important it is to hold on to peace, how incredibly important it is to find a way to hold on to our peace and to live courageously enough to reclaim that when we lose it, being willing to reclaim that, to know that we can reclaim that when we lose it. That's really a lot about the spiritual path. It's that sustained effort and willingness of being willing to come back, start all over at square one. Okay, let me today try and hold on to my peace so that I can be a channel for that for Divine Mother so that I can give that to others. Recently I was watching a talk of Swamiji's and he, I can't remember the context, I've tried to go back to it, I need to find out where it is, but the gist of it was he was talking about community, um, times ahead being difficult, this kind of thing. And he said, he said something to the effect, if you, you know, if, if times get difficult, if times get hard, if you find yourself without, if you don't have anyone to turn to, you don't have friends, if I can, I will help you. And then he just went right on to something else. And it leapt out at me because the way he said it was with so much love. It, it made me feel like, I was his nearest and dearest. It made me feel that he was everybody's 
nearest and dearest. It was a, it was a magnitude of love that included the whole world and beyond. Such an incredible quality, unconditional love. And then again, one of those qualities of one transcended, but one of those qualities that on the path we need to learn how to live and learn how to express unconditional love, to not be so self-preoccupied in our own battle that we can't see the bigger picture, we can't give to the bigger picture. And then it talks about being, in the Gita this morning, about being secure in our divine nature. And this is really where the core of our path comes in, meditation, seclusion, because it's in the time that we are alone with God, and that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to ride that wave. Sometimes it seems like it's effortless it's bliss, and sometimes it just seems like it's tooth and nail the whole way. And you come out the other end, and you look back, and, well, there it is. <laughs> you know, that's all I can offer. But it's in that time and in that, you know, in our courage and willingness to spend that time and just do it, just to do our practices, leave the rest to God. Do our meditation, leave the rest to Divine Mother instead of trying to figure out all the time, was it a good one? How deep was it? Am I getting anywhere? Am I making any progress in this at all after 35-some years? You know, just forget all of that just to do the practice, courageously enter into it with joy, not just the battle for the sake of the battle, but to try to bring some semblance of peace and joy into it. Many years ago, we were watching the night sky with friends, and it was at the time when uh, there was a, a notable comet moving through the sky, but it was very bright out that night. It also happened to be the full moon, and so it was just this phasey fuzzball. It looked like nothing. And the guy, um, um, uh, I forget his name, Lucinda and uh, Dave, Dave. Um, Dave brought out his telescope, and he, I mean, he brought, moved it, brought it from the vision of the comet over to the moon something big that we could see. And it was so close. It was like, you know, how it is. You could just touch, touch it right there. And I was looking at it through the scope, and just instantly it was gone. And I thought I pushed a button or moved it, and I, you know, Dave fixed it for me, and he fixed it, and it was gone. And I said, there's something wrong with the telescope. And he fixed it again. And, and I lo- then I looked just with my own eyes. I looked to the moon, and it just sat there perfectly still. I couldn't understand why it wasn't that way in this telescope. And finally, I realized that I was just looking at it so closely, everything was kind of speeded up. But what really came to me in that moment and that I've really held in my heart is, is an insight into the spiritual path, in a way an obvious one, but one that we need to be reminded of. Because the moon is just sitting there when you look at it with your natural vision. It's not moving, it's steady, it's there, you can watch it forever. But when you look through it through that telescope, it was just moving so, so very fast. And I thought that's how it looks to Divine Mother. You know, we look at our spiritual life 
and we don't see a whole lot. We see the years go by. We see all the outward changes around us and different people coming and going. But in terms of our spiritual life, well, maybe we're a little more peaceful. We're still on the path, and that's worth a tremendous amount, an absolutely tremendous amount. But still, we don't see it. We don't see the change. We don't see how close we're really getting. But God sees that. And the image before God is just this devotee racing, racing to the light. And that's what it was for me. That moon was just racing across so fast I couldn't even hold it in the telescope. And that's really our life. It's the life of a devotee. Once we've set foot on the path, it is so speeded up. It is so speeded up, and we are so, so very close once we've just set foot on the path, what to speak of living this life. And that's why I say, I mean, you are all the sermon because the courage that it takes to really stay in the path and even try to live and express these divine qualities, it doesn't matter whether we fail at them or not. Yogananda said that success on the spiritual path is desiring it intensely. Desiring it intensely, and no matter what is going on, holding that desire, holding our consciousness in God. And that's what it's about. And that's why you are all such beautiful, beautiful examples. And we are all, we are all racing to God. There's that beautiful story of St. Chaitanya, and it's so perfect, really, for this instance, because there he was talking with the disciples. They were talking about, among other things, liberation And Chaitanya said to one of the disciples, you'll be liberated in this life. And everyone was just elated, so moved for that disciple. And they said, well, what about me? What about me? And he said, oh, one incarnation more, two incarnations more. But to one of the disciples, he said, it'll be many, (laughs) many. It'll be many lifetimes still. And they kept you know, sharing in satsang, silent and otherwise, and that disciple left the room. And the other disciples felt so bad for him. You know, so many more incarnations. Ouch, what pain. Ugh. Glad it's not me. But afterwards, they went out. They went out to console him. And they found that disciple dancing in ecstasy outside on the grounds And they said, what are you doing? Didn't you hear what the master said? He said, yes, I heard. He said, I was going to be liberated and liberated. You know, not this life, many incarnations, but he said I was going to be liberated. And that's all he heard. And in that freedom, in the knowing that he was going to complete the run, there was just such bliss, such joy. What a grace it is to live this life. The ending That's up to Divine Mother. But what grace it is to have this incarnation with such a teaching, with such an avatar who's saying that we can do it, is there to support us and is empowering us in that way. Because there it is. You know, he said we will be liberated. It was at that moment that Chaitanya came out. He wanted to show the other disciples what this great one was made of, and he touched him, and he was liberated in that instance. So we are all racing to God, and I thank you for your courage, your example, and discipleship. It's deeply inspiring 
to me. I know it's inspiring to all of you who get to observe it in your fellow guru bhais. And I know those who are watching online, they're living lives of tremendous courage and are inspired by the lives you live. So thank you and bless you.